Good. Very glad to be worshiping with you this morning. Your brothers and sisters at Calvary Ringo greets you. Uh, this morning we'll be looking at Second Corinthians, written by Paul. Uh, if you have a pew Bible, you can turn to that on page 964. We'll be reading from chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. Now hear the reading of God's holy and infallible word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for the enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. For we do not want you to be ignorant brothers of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despair even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and thus delivers us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also, you also help together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. This is God's word. Let us pray for his blessing. Gracious Father, we pray that uh, your Holy Spirit gives us understanding and comfort of your word so that we may grow in the grace and knowledge of our union with Jesus Christ, our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. When you are facing difficulties and you have no solution, don't you just want to just go into your, to your room, shut the door, get into bed, throw a comforter on yourself and just forget about everything, wishing that all your troubles will just disappear. But life doesn't seem to cooperate with our wishes. And thanks be to God, our God is not one who leaves us to wishful thinking or even wishy-washiness. This passage written by Paul proclaims based on how many times it speaks of the word comfort, affliction, and suffering, that God himself is our comforter. He comforts us in all our afflictions and sufferings. And we will look at this theme in three points in this text, following a Trinitarian trajectory. We will see how the three persons of the one true God comforts us when the goings get tough. And our first point uh, is from verses 3 to 4. And we see that God our Father is our comforter. God our Father is our comforter. The Apostle Paul typically begins his letters with praise and blessings to God. Here and elsewhere, he doesn't simply bless an invisible and impersonal supreme being. But here and elsewhere, Paul tells us that God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
in the, 19, in the early 19th century, some promoted a teaching called the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. In brief, they claim that God is the father of all and every human beings, and he desires us to love him because he loves us very much. It was supposed to be a teaching that unite the whole humanity into one happy family. Well, it looks and sounds like a veggie tales, doesn't it? But obviously, if you look around the world, it doesn't work. It hasn't worked, and it doesn't work. Because the Bible nowhere teaches this. The truth is that God is first and foremost the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us about this solemn truth, that we are not by nature children of God, but we were born sinners and justly deserved of God's wrath and judgment. God has no obligation to do us any favor or save us from the misery of this life because we have sinned against him in our thought, in our word, in our actions. But God the Father, who eternally loves God the Son, he loved the world so much that he sent his Son to this sinful world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Simply stated, believers become children of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this saving benefit of being sons and daughters of God is immense. When we face adversity, we often go into troubleshooting mode immediately, thinking, how do I get out of this? How do I stop this pain in my life? But do we know with undeniable clarity and truth that God is our Father? Our first thought should be regarding Him. Our first thought is not to find solace in ourselves in, or in anyone to help our circumstances, but in God, knowing that as our Father, He cares for us because He loves us however bad or weak that we are. Think about it. If he can forgive all our sins and give us eternal life, isn't it a small thing that he comes to our aid here and now? Well, but there's, there's more. Our Heavenly Father is also God of all comfort. And we can look at it this way. God's mercy is his tender heart for us. He pities our lowly standard and and the misery in our life. And God's comfort tells us that he actually comes to us with all his divine and saving grace so that he is with us to help and to strengthen us in times of difficulties. Notice here that Paul tells us that God is God of all comfort, not just a little bit of comfort. And he is the God of all comfort against all of our affliction, not just pain and suffering here and there. When we go to see our doctor, doesn't he often refer us to a specialist? And when we see a specialist, he then refers us to an expert. And what can be worse when we see an expert and he says, well, this is interesting, but I haven't seen this before. But our Heavenly Father has at his disposal every kind of remedy against every kind of of ailment. He has every arsenal to destroy every and each one of our enemies 
and he treats us gently, wisely, lovingly, and most of all, for our good. The great comfort of knowing God is that he loves us as his very own children through Christ. And he knows perfectly what to do with us, whether we are at our best or most often time when we are at our worst. He never fails us. The Bible even tells us that he works all things, even pains and difficulty, for our good because we are his beloved children. Now, Christians, isn't that good news? Well, I know you, oftentimes you don't feel God's comfort when you are struggling. But this goes above and beyond your feeling. God's fatherly comfort is a revealed truth in his word. It is as real as God is real. Listen again. God is our father of mercies and God of all comfort. And we must affirm and embrace this truth again and again, especially in time of hardship. So people of God, let not your heart be troubled, even when the whole world seems to crumble around you. He who holds the whole world in his hand welcomes you and comforts you with his holy and fatherly love. And now we turn to our second point, and you can see in verses 5 to 7, Paul tells us that God the Son is our comforter. When we are in distress, we want immediate relief. We want God to snap his finger and instantly reverse our fortune. And when we don't get that, we grumble and we forget about God. And we desperately turn inward, searching in our hearts, searching in our mind how we may find help in our time of need. But God's comfort comes not only in words of truth, but in Christ. God himself comes very near and dear to us. Paul tells us that we share Christ's sufferings as well as his comfort. In particular, we experience this abundant comfort of Christ in our own sufferings. Let's say, that, let's say for example, a high school student, he fails all his classes, he's on the verge of being uh, kicked out of school and dropping out of school. He is under tremendous pressure from his parents, from his peers. He feels stupid. He feels useless. He feels like an outcast. And he's very depressed about his prospect. Well, his pastor tells him, trust God. He is your comfort. And he will lead you on his righteous path no matter what happens to you. Now, this is true. But this high school student, he really doesn't take this to heart. It goes in one year and out the other one. But when a young man comes to him after service, this young man put his arm around the kid. He tells him that he himself never finished high school. But thanks be to God, whose power is made perfect in weakness, he now makes a good and honest living to support his wife and his children. Now, isn't it not surprising that the high school student immediately clings to this new friend, trying to find out how faith carries, sustain, and prosper him through because he finds comfort in their shared life experience. 
in His great mercy and love for us, the eternal Son of God assumed a human nature. He became a man in order to save us. Yes, we know that only, only, only as a man, Jesus can fulfill all righteousness of God's law. And yes, we know that only as a man could he become our per- perfect atoning sacrifice on a cross. So we often focus on Christ's birth and death. But the full gospel also tells us, also gives us a good look of what happened to him in between. That Jesus not only suffered for you, his whole earthly life demonstrated that he suffers with you. He's taking on all your hardship in infirmities and suffering in himself. Jesus suffered the same temptations as we do. He was assaulted by evil men as we do. His life circumstances were very undesirable since he has no place to lay his head. Even his family doubted him and thought that he was mad. He was surrounded by sick, broken, and demon-possessed people. While we were, he was doing good, while he, were, he was teaching them, he was often misunderstood, mistreated, and eventually falsely condemned, condemned and judged and sent to the cross. The eternal Son of God had no need to suffer, but out of his great love for you, he became a man to be tempted by evil and tried by a life of suffering and hardship and to experience all wickedness and afflictions in this fallen world so that he may share with you the experience of living in this sin-stricken world. He has first-hand and personal experience of what you are going through in your difficulties. There's great mystery in how Christ suffered with us in this in his earthly life, and how we suffer with him here and now. But know that our suffering has no atoning or saving value. Only Christ's suffering had that. Yet, the Bible tells us that our union with Christ is so deep, is so intimate, is so real, that our suffering is his. But notice it, that it is the risen Christ who is presently sharing all of our afflictions. He who experienced all the difficulty and hardship in this world, he was risen. He was raised to glory. And with his compassionate heart, knowing our experience, he can minister to us from heaven with all that we need. That's why the author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 4 that as the heavenly high priest, Jesus and Jesus alone, and give us mercy and grace to help us in time of need. Let's say, for example, if you are diagnosed with a rare and deadly disease, would you want to see a newbie fresh out of medical school? He probably has little knowledge and no experience regarding how to treat you. Or would you want to go to see a doctor who is an experienced expert? He calmly sits you down and tells you that a very difficult surgery and grueling rehab they are ahead of you. But you will fully recover because he has successfully treated every one of his patients with similar disease. Now, do you trust and find comfort 
in his word and in his experience. And do you entrust your body to his care? Jesus himself, he has gone through suffering and death. And we all know that he came out victorious. He is the great physician who knows how to make us well because he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows the full depth of humanity, the suffering that we have, and the hope that we have because he has conquered all hardships and even sin and death. As the great physician, Jesus' medicine is never too weak that we are only partially healed. It is never too strong that we suffer grievous side effects. He has perfect bedside manner, full of gentleness, firmness, and truth. And his surgical knife cuts just at the right place to remove just the appropriate lump of disease and nothing else. This is why, with such confidence, Paul says in verse 7, that our hope is unshaken, because his hope and our hope is in Christ. And because we share a life with the risen Christ. The suffering servant who became the victorious Lord of all. As Paul tells us, and indeed the whole New Testament tells us, our life pattern mirrors and follows Christ's own life. That is, temporary suffering and humiliation, perseverance under the good hand of God, and followed by forever glory and exaltation. Yes, our risen Lord knows personally what we are going through, and he has the power of resurrection to give us the grace that we need to endure and even to reach the heavenly home that he is now preparing for us. So people of God, when you are suffering, don't think that you are suffering alone in a mysterious and yet very real and spiritual manner. Jesus himself shares and participates in all your afflictions. As many old authors says, for every one look at yourself, take ten look at Jesus, the one who conquered everything and is raised to glory. So Christians, find comfort in knowing Christ, for he knows and he loves you. And this leads us to our third point. Verses 8 to 11, Paul tells us, God the Holy Spirit is our comforter. Elsewhere in the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit. And I, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of Truth. The title helper, um, or paraclete, in Greek, is the same word Paul and other New Testament writers use for comfort. It means someone called to come alongside you. It may describe a defense lawyer to come alongside to defend your cause. It may describe an encouraging friend to come along you, to encourage, to exhort you. Or it may describe an emotional, loving support of a loved one standing by your side, ready to help you when you fall. When you fall. So Jesus tells his disciple that he will ask the Father to send another comforter, doing full well that Jesus himself is the comforter. 
But he tells the church that after he ascends to heaven, he's not going to leave the church alone to fend for himself. He and the Father will send another one who is equal to him as his personal and comforting presence to us. And this comforter is none other than the Holy Spirit. In your affliction and calamity, in case you don't remember that God the Father is your only comfort, because you only hear yourself moaning and crying, in case you forget that God the Son is your comfort, because pain in your heart and your body shuts everything and everyone out. God the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you to give you a divine and infallible assurance that you belong to God and God belongs to you. That He, God Himself, in the Spirit, comforts you with the comfort of the whole Trinity. One scholar calls the Holy Spirit God's empowering presence. When you are so weak that your head bows so low, the Holy Spirit comes in and alongside you to give you the comfort that this world cannot give you. He lights up God's word in your heart, in your mind. He gives you gifts to strengthen you and to enable you not only to survive difficulties, but to thrive in them. We may say that the Spirit gives you strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Now, don't just take it from me. Paul says this in Romans 5. He says, We rejoice in sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So you see, this is a special and spectacular work of the Holy Spirit. He is eternally the bond of love between God the Father and God the Son. So it is eminently fitting that the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts to comfort us by bonding us to the whole Trinity. Now besides working in you, the Spirit also uses means or instruments or tools to work in the church. He, he works in the church in concrete and tangible ways to comfort you in times of trial and testing. Now how does he do that? How does the Spirit work in the church in concrete way? Well, you can look around you and find out. You look at me, you can look around you and find out. Who are these people you're looking at? Do you only see people sitting in a pew? Or do you really see when the Spirit opens your hearts and mind? individual precious stone of the temple, of the Holy Spirit, that we are built together to serve God, to worship Him, and to minister to one another. In verses 4 and 7 here, Paul tells us, one purpose of his suffering and deliverance was to benefit and give comfort to suffering Christians in Corinth. We see here when Paul was comforted and rescued even from death. It was not only for his own sake. It was for the sake of many others in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. As a result, 
Paul reminds us that his suffering is the instrument, is a tool of God's comfort to the church. Beloved, if you are suffering, if you are struggling even, perhaps God is molding and refining you in order that you may be equipped to bring God's comfort to others who suffer in a similar way. You may be battered and bruised now, but when God gives you relief, your experience will help you mightily to serve to benefit countless Christians and even as a testimony and witness to unbelievers because now you have a Christ-shaped heart and life. The famous English preacher Charles Spurgeon, he suffered from depression from at the beginning of his ministry. He struggled with it on and off throughout his life. There were times he was crippled by deep despair that he could not even get out of bed. It would become his lifelong battle. One Sunday he preached on Psalm 22. You know the opening of the, of the verse, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Spurgeon, he poured his heart and his experience into this sermon, trying to come to grip of David's, and eventually Jesus deep distress and mental anguish by suffering for us. And that night, after he preached the sermon, a disheveled man came to Spurgeon and said to him how much the morning sermon meant to him. He was deeply moved because it appeared that of all the people in the world, only the preacher, Charles Spurgeon, knew his soul. He thanked Spurgeon and he left. And later on, Spurgeon found out that he was actually suicidal. Five years later, Spurgeon saw this man at the pew of his church. Now in sound mind, he has become a Christian and his depression cured. So you see, even with this one example, you can see how sharing the suffering of Christ comforted a Christian that is Spurgeon. And how the Holy Spirit used him to comfort a man in need of sanity and of salvation. Christians, God uses you in many ways to comfort others. It may be speaking comforting words to those who are hurting. It may be spending time at the side of those who are ill. It may be checking in with those who have not come to worship. And it may even be, it may be even using your own suffering as a means to, to comfort others. Our last verse, verse 11, shows an excellent way the Holy Spirit comforts us. It is by prayer. Paul understands that comfort and blessings are granted to him through faithful prayers, even by Christians who have not even seen him or met him. And this should be an encouragement to, uh, to us to pray unceasingly, as Paul tells us, to attend prayer meetings, to pray with others for impromptu prayer, or to seek the comforting grace of God for others. It is true, when our prayer go up, God's blessings come down. And in closing, let me ask you this question. Are you comfortable? No, I don't mean, are you comfortable slumping in a, in a rocking chair with a beer in your hand? I'm asking you, are you comfort-able? Are you able to receive the comfort of our Heavenly Father, who sovereignly loves you 
and cares for you? Are you able to receive the comfort of Christ who walks with you through the valley of the shadow of death in order to lead you to green pasture of your heavenly home? And are you able to receive the comfort of the Holy Spirit even during your deepest distress, knowing that He breathed His words and gifts to you through the ministry of the church? And are you able to be the instrument and tool of God's Spirit so that you may be a comfort to others, that you may come alongside others in prayer? By God's grace, let all these answers be a resounding, yes, Lord, I'm able, use me. Let's pray. Our blessed Trinity, we rejoice in knowing you and your work, especially the work of Christ at the cross and the work of the Holy Spirit in the church, even here and now. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we bless you for comforting us and even making us a comfort to others. May our faith and life be enriched by your word and by your spirit, such that we may be more and more conformed to the life of Christ, to the glory of the Father. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.